Welcome to the One New Man Network from Kirtlandry Ministries at House of David, where we learn about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. The following is a replay of a previous service. God bless you. Thank you so much, worship team. Hallelujah. I want to thank all of those that traveled to Oklahoma City to be with us, and it's always much appreciated to have House of David in the house when you're, when you're ministering. Lots of good reports coming in from that. This message tonight's one of those kind of, uh, it's like the fatherly message. If you, uh, if I was going to leave something behind, this is one of those messages that if, if I only had one message I could preach and I knew it was the last one, this would be one of those types of messages. Uh, I'm going to personalize it because I'm going to share with you the way I received this message and this revelation is through my own personal struggle and, uh, and journey. And so I want to talk to you about the key to success. If you would go in your Bibles, this is not on the notes, but if you would go to your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. And I didn't put it in the notes for Oklahoma City, and I didn't do it here, because I want you to highlight this, Joshua 1, verse 8. (coughs) I also want to encourage you to, uh, I'm just going to challenge you, I'm going to encourage you to actually carry a Bible. I know it's great, you can have a whole Bible on your, any of your devices, But there's something different about carrying this. And one that who travels, I always love the reaction I get, particularly in places like they don't think I should be. I, I love going into a bar and sitting down in the airport and opening up my Bible. It's amazing how much room I get to the right and to the left. I literally have people say, are you getting ready to preach? I said, well, if you'd like me to. And, uh, uh, but it's amazing the effect because this word is living and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. Uh, There's also something about a boldness of not being ashamed of who you are and and carrying the Bible. Uh, Just try it. I think you'll like it. This is in the book of Joshua. When I first got saved, this was one of the first scriptures the Lord gave me understanding that I came out of the world. I didn't get saved till I was 36. The year I got saved, the business venture I was in made $7.5 million. So at 36 years old, I was pretty comfortable in my ability to think that I knew how the world works because of, uh, of that. And I absolutely didn't know anything. But in my own mind, when you, when you reach those kind of goals at that young age, you think that... Um, that you know something. And uh, praise God that Jesus came into a bathtub and saved me. And, but one of the things I found out is I had to relearn everything I thought I knew. Uh, in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, 
for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Say to your neighbor, good success. How many know there's a difference between success and good success? See, I, I'm at a stage now, I'm only interested in good success. I'm not interested in prospering outside of God's will because any prosperity outside of God's will is high maintenance. It becomes a giant uh, nightmare. But things that come through God's ways and are always pure and pleasant and, and they may be hardworking, but they don't bring uh, the confusion that man's fruit does. So I want to talk to you from that foundation of the key uh, to success in Psalms 127, 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and sit up late and eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. When we don't do things God's way and make him the Lord, then we labor in vain. That's it. It's not negotiable. He's the creator. We're the creation. When we don't operate according to the creator, we labor in vain. That, that's a fact. Okay? Now, a lot, of, a lot of us are born again. Our name's in the book, Spirit-Filled. You're going to heaven. Praise God. But if you don't learn that lesson, when you come to the millennial reign of the thousand-year reign in Jerusalem, you'll have a pretty menial job because until you learn this, the Lord really can't use you. Because He's the Lord. I'm not talking about the Savior. I'm talking about Him as Lord. Hello. Many know Him as Savior, and praise God your name is in the book. But you have no authority and power on earth because you don't know him as in the Lord because you're not doing it his way. You're doing it what you think is your way. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, meaning that you can't just have wisdom, the wisdom of the fear of the Lord can create all sorts of spiritual fears, but wisdom of the knowledge, having foreknowledge or understanding of the fear of the Lord is called reverential fear, and that's what the Lord is looking for. The Lord is looking for those who have reverential fear, understanding we're not having a spirit of fear, but reverentially we honor Him. Say, honor the Lord. See, if you honor the Lord, then you will have knowledge to fear the Lord, and to fear the Lord means that it is foolish not to obey the Lord because the Lord created us, and He created all the earth, and everything in the earth, under the earth, and above the earth. Exodus 20 and 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God 
is giving you. That's a covenant statement. That's a courts of heaven statement. If you want the land that the Lord has given you and you want to have authority over it debt-free and to be able to function over the assignment of the calling that are in the books of heaven manifesting on earth through your, your body, you're going to have to honor the Father. A lot of people love Jesus, but they're afraid of God the Father. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is love. And perfect love cast out all fear. And honor is the currency of heaven. And it starts with honoring the Father. You know, I really had to struggle when I first got saved and I started meditating on that scripture. I had difficulty because at that time, I had a good relationship with my adoptive father, Ray Landry, that raised me. But Ray Landry was a two-landing Guadalcanal Purple Heart Master Marine Sergeant that was abandoned not only as a child by his parents who were alcoholics that would leave him in his car, in a car in Rhode Island in the winter while they were inside drinking. But then when he made his second landing on Guadalcanal, the U.S. government abandoned him. And so this is before post-traumatic stress and all those types of things. And in the process of that, he never, in my whole life, he never told me that he loved me. He also never told me that he was proud of me. And so when I started on my spiritual journey at age 36 and the Lord says, you have to honor your father, it was difficult because I thought, well, he's never really honored me. Now, how am I going to honor him? And I remember I stayed home from work one day, Christy and I, and we were home and the TV came on. It was the History Channel and it was on Guadalcanal and it talked about how they abandoned the soldiers. And Christy and I, both our hearts broke and we prayed. And at that point, we made a decision to embrace and love Ray Landry because he really did love us. He really was proud of us. But because of his condition that never had been dealt with, he didn't know how to express it. And so we started to walk in honor with him. And then shortly after that, I was reconnected to my biological father, Joe McCaughey. And then on the other side, he was one that if you're on the phone, he would have told you he loved you five times on the phone. And uh, he must have told me how proud he was of me, you know, a thousand times in the 16 years I got to enjoy his company. But it doesn't really matter because I remember when I did my adoptive father, Ray Landry's funeral, how all the people in the community where he lived would, uh, that were at the funeral, and I was the preacher, and I got up and, and, I, and I preached his funeral and was honored to be able to do it. And I don't know how many of them came up to me and said, your dad talked about you all the time. He was so proud of you. See, that was his heart. But he couldn't communicate it for whatever reason. But you cannot let the dishonor or the lack of honor or the lack of expression of your earthly father to distract the relationship of your heavenly father. 
Because your heavenly father is always telling you he's proud of you. He's always telling you that he loves you. In fact, he corrects you because he loves you. He's directing you because he loves you. But, but get past that. Get past that filter of saying, well, if I, because so many of us, some of us have good father experiences, some exceptional father experiences like Megan Marcelino, but, um, <laughs> but very few are that fortunate to have, you know, that kind of modeling that was right under Jesus and in, in just right there. Yeah, number three. So, but, um, but the Lord also resists the proud, so I'll go back to my message. But we understand that it's not about, it's not about expression, it's a fact. It's a currency. It's honoring Father God. And it's honoring your earthly father and your earthly mother and honoring your children. Are you hearing me? You need to honor your children. Your children don't always uh, um, behave well, particularly when they go through that rebellious stage, if they go through it. But you need to honor your children, and they'll honor you. When God sends you that seed into your life, you're responsible for that seed as long as you live. And I speak that because we got Thanksgiving coming and we're coming around the table and we're with family and there's issues. Don't let anything disrupt that table. These are your parents. These are your children. These, this is your spouse. These are your, your family members. And don't let anything steal the glory of coming together at that table. Don't let the devil win. And even though people have hurt you, and, and, and rightfully so, they, they robbed from you, they stole from you, they, all these negative things and all these things, but there has to be a place because one of the currencies, the highest, purest currency of heaven is forgiveness. And I want to say this to the men, real men forgive. If you really want to be tough, you need to walk in forgiveness. Proverbs 4, 6, and 7. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. You've, you've got to get understanding. It's interesting. The Lord, uh, Dr. Benefield, pointed this out, that the thrust of this message is Psalm 118.8. It's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in men. And it's interesting, the Lord had me preach this on 11.18.18. And I shared with them the way I really struggled with this message was right after I got saved, I got introduced to a, a preacher and uh, I got introduced to him by going to a conference in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma called the, the Azusa Conference. And it was there at the Maybe Center, and thousands of people were there. And at that time, uh, I was one of the few white people in this conference. And, uh, but the Lord had me go there because I had been listening to a young preacher that came out of Virginia. His name is T.D. Jakes. And... Uh, and that's where I was being fed. And one of the things that Bishop Jakes preaches, and I struggled with so, so badly, was 
the fact that he said, no man, no demon, nothing on earth can steal your destiny or your blessing from God. And I could say just like some of you, amen, that's right, that's right. But even though I said it, I had head knowledge of it, but I didn't believe it in my heart. And the reason I knew I didn't believe it in my heart is that every time man would fail me, I would get offended with the man, and I would think in my heart, I can't believe these people would do this stupid thing. Can't they see it's holding back the whole kingdom of God? It's holding back my whole calling, their calling, and their purpose. Why, why would they do this? It's biblical. Here's the biblical mandate of what we are to do. I'm presenting it to them, and they're saying no over and over and over again. And literally having Christian organizations make false accusations against us and trying to get us out of ministry because of anti-Semitism. It was a brutal uh, experience, I can tell you. Now, I praise God for it now because when I asked the Lord and I prayed, I said, listen, what Bishop is preaching, I just, I want to be able to own it. And the Lord said, fine, the only way I can get you to own it is to put your confidence in God above your confidence in man. And what that really means is that when you have your confidence in God, then you realize that no man can get you off track with God. So it doesn't mean that you can't have confidence in the men and women that God brings you together as a team because we go out two by two and, and, and this, this is about multiplication and unity. But you need to come to a mature understanding that every man, woman, and child in this room, including me and on this network, is absolutely going to fail you because we cannot be perfect because the perfect one hung on a cross for us. But we have to be able to get to a place where we're not offended when people don't meet the agreements that we make, the covenants that we make, and the expectations. So I want to take you on a little journey to show you how important this is to the Lord. And the answers are on the screen, but I'll ask you the question. So this is a little cheat sheet so you can respond. But what is the shortest chapter in the Bible? Man, you guys don't even do good cheating. <laughs> I wasn't saved in high school. We used to cheat on the test, not because we didn't want to study, just to see if we could get away with it. And we did. We had to have some entertainment. It's called rebellion. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? Thank you, Psalm 119. Which chapter is in the center of the Bible? Psalm 118. Biblical facts for 300. There are 594 chapters before Psalm 118. And the fact is there's 594 chapters after Psalm 118. Add these two numbers up and you get what? A very smart congregation. So your final question is, and this is for the double jeopardy, what is the center verse in the Bible then? Does this verse say anything significant 
about the perfect will for our lives. The next time someone says that they would like to find God's perfect will for their lives and that they want to be in the center of his will, just send them the center of his word. Psalm 118.8. Would you say it with me? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the key to wisdom. And it's really the key for me for Thanksgiving. That's just me. So we grew up in 1,200 square feet in Los Angeles. There was five in our family. Most of our family was Catholic, so my other cousins had 10 kids, so that's 12. We had two cousins' families with 10 kids each, so that's 25. Our other cousins had six. And we'd all end up in 1,250 square feet for Thanksgiving at the Landry's house, which we referred to as the YMCA because we had a pool. And those were great memories. We'd go out in the street and play football and baseball, whatever we wanted, in between all the cars. Have to stop in the middle for traffic to come through. Why our parents let us run in between parked cars we used the back of cars like blockers to be able to catch over the trunk in the football. Those were great times. But I also remember that there were times when there was a lot of arguments. Because why? People demanded that people believed and understood what they thought had, they had to be right. And when those special times became unspecial is when people would argue over defending their own opinion. And you know, you need to respect others' people's opinions so that you have your opinion, my opinion, and our opinion. Is this helping anyone? You know, destroying a relationship over having to be right over your opinion. Even when your opinion is right, it's better to humble yourself and be wrong and maintain the relationship in your family. Because the Lord's going to put a demand on you to reconcile with them because it's your seed. Ecclesiastes 2.26 For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is God, um, who is good in his sight. I want you to really hear this. God gives wisdom and knowledge. God gives. There's a gift, okay? So the good man is over here, and what does the good man get? He gets wisdom and knowledge as a gift. So if you're having Thanksgiving and the Lord shows up, the good people get wisdom and knowledge. Nobody can see it. He just comes in as a good father, lays hands on him, and says, I release wisdom and knowledge. Now look what the, the sinners get. But then to the sinners he gives the work of gathering, collecting, that he may give him who is uh, good before God. This is also vanity, gasping at wind. So what's he give over here to the sinner? Stuff. 
What's the lesson? When your heart is focused on sin, you hide behind stuff. When your heart is focused on righteousness, you hide behind the wisdom and knowledge of God. Wisdom is slow to speak, slow to anger. Colossians 2 and 2, verse and 3. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you have born-again family members at Thanksgiving in your table, God's wisdom, treasures, and knowledge are in them. But if you judge them, then you cut yourself off from your wisdom. Is this helping anyone? Saying, boy, we thought we were having a happy, clappy Thanksgiving. This is good. I'm bringing the gravy in a minute. <laughs> Proverbs 3.13. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and a man who gains understanding. Happy is the man who sees the one sitting at the table that he doesn't like, but finds the wisdom to pull the good nugget that Yeshua put in them. That man is happy. When you're focused on finding the good in people, you'll be happy. But if you focus on the bad, you'll be unhappy. Come on, we're talking about the key to wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Tonight we need to ask for wisdom. Some of you are in some pretty tight places with some of the relationships with your family, and you need to ask the Lord, what is the wisdom to the crawl, walk, run for me to restore this relationship? What is the wisdom? What is the wisdom? Most of the day today, I was taking a 21-pound turkey. I had thought it out for two days. And so today I gave it a bath in kosher salt. Then while I let it rest in the big sink in the salt, I went over and I prepared a, a brine from scratch with fresh herbs. And I brought it up to boil, and I let it cook not too much, and then I brought it back and simmered it and got it back down to room temperature. And then put some ice in it. Then cleansed the bird again. And then put it into the brine with the breast down. Because see, anything that's worthwhile is worth doing right. You don't have to do that. Now tomorrow when I pull it out, I'll pull it out, let it sit out, and I'll...
take some towels and pat it dry and I'll make sure it gets really good and dry and then I will inject it because I've got one of those injector and I'll inject it with Irish butter chicken broth and special seasonings and I'll inject it in every place that you can I mean that thing's just gonna it won't even look like a turkey when I get done it will look like a basketball full of juice and butter and herbs and because everyone knows that dry turkey is from the devil Leviticus chapter 7 verse 12 and then I cook it slow at 325 not 375 at 325 and know that I have to take 20 minutes out because when you brine it it cooks faster and you're going to have to keep a thermometer and keep, an, uh, keep time on that temperature because even after you do all that work, if you overcook it and you cook it too fast, you wasted your time. I'm preaching right now. I hope you're watching how this goes. This, this is all about preaching. And then after you cook it, you have the timing. The people are coming over. And when they come, you need to have that bird out at about 15 to 20 minutes because it needs to rest so that all the juices settle into it so that when you cut it, the juice is all through it. Because if you cut it when it's fresh out of the oven, you'll lose all the juice. So you have to let it rest and kind of go back in and the butter starts to kind of gel up a little bit. And then you start to slice it. What am I trying to say? Preparations and following the instructions is everything to a good meal. And it's the same thing in your spiritual walk with the Lord. What you need to do right now is you need to prepare yourself for Thanksgiving with your family. You need to allow the Lord to bring the kosher salt from heaven to, to get all the bacteria of sin off your life. Why go in and have to fake smiles? Why go in and say, well, we're not going to talk about this? Why go in? Why not just cleanse yourself up and let the anointing of God just bring healing into your family? It's all about preparation. The word in Hebrew, I can't remember what it said, but a friend of mine told me that the word in Hebrew for being thankful is the same word as turkey. It literally is the same word. The key to wisdom is being thankful. Be that turkey this year. Be the one that has enough wisdom like a Solomon to know that being, offensive, being offended, judging, being critical is not worth. Don't let the enemy steal the relationship of your family and friends. So tonight, I'm going to ask that every head bow, including all of you watching online. This is an important year. This is biblical year 5779. This is a year of judgment and justice. This is a year of promotion. This is a year of great increase. And the only thing that will hold you back from your promotion is you. 
you need to say to yourself, you will get it right. Don't, don't be holding on to things. It's not worth it. So if the Lord is speaking to you about issues in your family and he wants to heal it, if it's you, I want you to stand. If that's you, the first step is if the Lord's going to use you for healing in your family, then you need to stand. Now, the next thing I need you to do is this. I need you to come forward to this altar right now. And if you're watching online, I just need you to stand up wherever you are. Now, these words, I know they're inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's, it's God, but you, you kind of have to, when you're looking at the Bible, it's always good to look at who's written these words. And if you look at the book of James, you know, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine living with Jesus and not knowing who he was until after the resurrection? I mean, you're talking about having to work through stuff. He's doing all these miracles. He's in the house, and he doesn't know that he's Messiah. And he says these words. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You just need to bow your heads right now, and you need to ask God for a strategy. That's what Christy and I had to do with Ray. You know the strategy the Lord gave me? I had to tell my adoptive father that I was reconnected to the biological. And that's a scary thought. And the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and the word of knowledge was this. I spoke this to him. You're my dad, my dad by deeds. Because he was always there. My adoptive father was the one that took me to baseball. He's the one that took me to Boy Scouts. He's the one that told me that if you do this, you're going to get a spanking, and I did. He also told me if you do good, you're going to get this, and he did. He was one of those blue-collar guys that at 5.30 every day, he showed up. My whole life at 5.30, here, here he was, pulled in. And when my mother said, wait till your father gets home, trust me, he delivered. It was very consistent great foundation for what I do now because God's been very consistent with me. But when I asked the Lord for the strategy is how am I going to honor him? He didn't say, well, go have a conversation with him and tell him how much you hurt and how much you feel like you need to hear him say that he loves me and, and you need to hear that he's proud of me. And that's not what the Lord said to me. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, I want you to love him unconditionally. And the Lord told me, he does love you and he is proud of you. And once the Lord revealed that to me, just because he couldn't verbalize it, it was okay. And isn't it interesting that at his homecoming, all these people came up and said, boy, he loved you so much. He was so proud of you. So now the Lord's no respecter person. The Lord's going to speak to you right now. Everyone here. And those of you that 
stayed in your seat, the Lord's going to speak to you right now. Because all you have to do is say, Father God, I lack wisdom. And I ask you, Father God, who gives liberally, without reproach, that it will be given to me. But Father, I ask you to forgive my sin of judging these people, being critical, putting demands on their behavior to suit my needs and my expectation. I ask you to forgive me for judging them. I go into the courts of heaven now and I ask the Father God for the blood of Jesus to forgive me for being critical and judging my family that you sent me into. Lord, I agree with your choice. And Father, I go into the courts of heaven now by the blood of Jesus and I cancel the word of the accuser that calls me critical and judges me because your word says judge not lest you be judged I come out of agreement with judgment I come in agreement with forgiveness I come in for an agreement with the blood of Jesus I thank you tonight I am the forgiven of the Lord. I ask you to heal my heart. I ask you to remove the reproach. I ask you to unsnare me from my words, spoken and unspoken. I ask you to heal my family in Yeshua's name. Lord, I thank you for this Thanksgiving, 5779, that justice, not judgment, will rest upon my table. And Lord, you will heal my land. Lord, I decree openly in the courts of heaven, I honor Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is my God through the blood of Yeshua and in the courts of heaven I cancel every assignment of false identity that has come against me. Thank you Lord I reclaim my forgotten heritage. I receive my identity. I receive my purpose. I receive a new destiny. I receive my inheritance. And I decree to you, Lord, I will leave a legacy of Psalm 118 that it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Thank you, Lord. I honor my father, 
my mother. I honor Father God. I honor Yeshua. I honor the Holy Spirit. And I honor my neighbor. And I honor myself. For your word says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I love myself because I am cleansed from all sin. I am not critical. I am not a judge. I am a vessel of mercy and grace. And thank you, Lord, for allowing me this night of reconciliation in this important time. Thank you, Lord, for healing my family. In Yeshua's name, we seal it in the courts. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God. You may be seated. At this time, we're going to prepare to receive tonight's tithes and offerings. So if you're in the house, if you need an envelope, the usher will get you an envelope. You can also give online, text to sow to sow, S-O-W, 51555. We appreciate your generosity and giving and support to this house and to the ministry. You know, this message tonight is really the, it's been probably one of the biggest motivations for, for me to write the book that's coming out. Our book is coming out in January on the 15th and it's Reclaiming Our Forgotten Heritage. My life has been a series of discovering who I really am, my real identity. Since I was born an orphan and adopted at six months, I didn't know my biological identity. And then when I got born again at 36, I didn't know my spiritual identity. But what started to happen is my first experience in with the body of Christ was dealing with some ministries and some things that were what we would call replacement theology, and it was bringing confusion into my life. And I knew there had to be something else. And so then the Lord started to reveal to me the mysteries of the Jewish roots of the faith and started to reveal to me the mystery of the one new man. And the biggest mystery, I think, he started to reveal to me that in these end times, that he was going to use the fulfillment of Bible prophecy to speak to all the nations of who the true God was. That the whole end times was going to become a giant Mount Carmel, and there would be the prophets of Baal, and then, then the prophets of God, the prophets of Elijah, which 7,000 didn't bend their knee. And the way he established them this time wasn't going to be bringing fire down on a rock altar, but actually fulfilling everything that he said in this book exactly the way he said it. And I realized that when 
replacement theology and other doctrines stole the Jewish roots of the faith, it stole people's identity. And so people were putting their purpose first. And when people put their purpose first, then what happens is they purpose to do good, but they don't find themselves in the process. Because see, God's true reward in your life is finding who you are in Him, so that when you stand before Him, you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Heaven on earth is knowing who you are in Him now, not waiting to die to find out. But your purpose needs to come from who you are in your identity. So when Thomas Nelson approached us and said, listen, we want you to write a book on the Jewish roots of the faith and we would like you to represent our company with Jewish roots type teaching, and we said yes, then we had to start going into it. And the first part where we started isn't where we came. It basically, it became a journey. Because I realized that from the time a couple years ago when we signed these contracts and started this book that most people struggle with their true identity. That's why you see one of the biggest advertisements at Thanksgiving right now on television where they're spending more money is on these DNA tests. And DNA tests are good. You can find out a little bit of your history, but that's all in the natural. Reclaiming your forgotten, inherit, your forgotten heritage, this book brings you into your spiritual DNA so that when you read the Bible, the Bible's speaking to you personally. Because this is your father's book, whether you are Jew or Gentile. You need a relationship with the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt amongst us. It's Yeshua. So you can pre-order your copies, and you can get your copy today on Amazon, and you can do, go to reclaimingourforgottenheritage.com, or you can text the word reclaiming to 313131, and you'll get a 10-day devotional and a study guide download, and you can get these now. It's all available since the 15th. And along with the question and answer form. So I want to encourage you to start your journey today. I want you to go to reclaimingourforgottenheritage.com. And this will be a great spiritual exercise between now and when the book comes out. So when the book comes out, you can just dive in. Because it, it's, uh, it's really, it's my personal journey. But it will bring you to a place... Yes, it was great that I found out who I was biologically, but what was more important is when I found out who I was spiritually. And this book has an anointing on it to get you there. So I want you to go ahead and get your study guide, get that download along with your question and answer. So go to reclaimingourforgottenheritage.com and start your journey today. Amen. Did this help anybody tonight? Praise the Lord. Come on, give him a hand clap. This is a blessed time. Megan and Christy got to go and uh, visit with a 
Holocaust survivor couple. They asked, they asked us to, they asked them, I didn't go, but they asked them to go into their apartment after we had breakfast. If we asked them what they wanted for breakfast, they wanted lasagna. We got them lasagna. But anyway, Christy and Megan went up. I think Preston went. Did Preston go in with you guys? Andy went in. And uh, Megan, you come up. I want to share about this. And I don't want to get the story if you get a mic. This is what I love about being a part of what we do. You guys are the heroes. So this couple, what, tell us a little bit about the history of them. Um, we, uh, I actually asked to go see one of their apartments because it's been a while. It's been a few years since I've been inside and I think uh, my mom had been. And so we got to meet them. But they're one of the older couples. You'll find that many of the survivors were children during the war. Um, many of them, you know, they have some memories, but they weren't like adults raising their own families. But these, this couple, they were born in the 20s, so they were adults. And they, um, I don't remember exactly where they were in, exactly where they were, but the, they left three days before the Nazis invaded as a couple. And um, they lost like 24 or 28 family members. Um, everyone who didn't leave died, basically. And so they lost everyone. Um, so after they uh, began to rebuild their life, he actually fought in the Battle of Stalingrad, which is, I believe, the largest battle in World War II. There was like, I don't, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but it's something like almost a million people were like either injured or killed. And so to actually meet a survivor, I love reading books on um, just that era. Paul is always asking me why I <laughs> keep reading World War II books. And I just, it's just, so I was just, amazed to sit in someone's presence who actually had lived through it as an adult and they were sharing a little bit of, of his story which was pretty incredible and then after they survive all of that they uproot and immigrate again to Israel in the early 90s which is pretty amazing because most of the people we talked to this last trip immigrated back in the 90s and I kept asking I was like why and they were like well that's when the Aliyah really began and um, our family our ministry was a part of, of helping fund that in the very um, early days I would have been really little I mean I wasn't I was just present at the house not like a part of it but it was amazing to think that um, that these could have been some of our people. And some of them were literally, had been moved to Israel on the same planes. Some of them had been moved from, you know, um, their cities when they were children, concentration camp situations on the same trains. And now here they are finding themselves in Jerusalem together. And so, you may tell. We're not gonna go into the details, but uh, they need some medical help. And he can't afford the medical help. So he was going to sell his medal that he received from the war. And that medical, that medal is obviously worth a lot. He spoke to Sam, who works for us. Sam is an artist, and he, and he deals in art trade and different things. So when we left his apartment, we asked them if you guys could see their apartment. Um, I don't know the square footage. Like 100 square feet? I mean, like 100, 200, I mean, it's really small. 
and there's two of them living there, and most of the times there's not couples that are still together. And one of the things that we've learned in the last little bit of taking, you know, getting more and more involved is that these people, that they don't have, we bring, we've been bringing Shabbat meals because the government helps with their housing, but the food and the meals that you bring, that is not something that the government subsidizes. So they may get like $600 a month, and that has to cover everything. And most of the time that mainly goes to medicine. So they end up living off of crackers and cookies and I don't, you know, my grandfather, when he was still living, like, that's all he ate was, like, gingerbread snaps and Cheez-Its. <laughs> and I just, you know, he needed someone to take care of him. And these, they don't have these, they don't have this type of care. Either their family's not there or they're alone. And so when you guys are providing meals for them, it's sometimes the only hot meal they have um, every week. So it's something that we're wanting to expand upon. So when we left their little apartment where one of them sleeps on the couch and the other sleeps in a recliner... And I mean, they're in their tw 90s, 90s, early 90s. Yeah. I, that can't be comfortable. We asked if there was anything we could do, and they said no. They just wanted to tell their story, and they wanted they wanted someone to listen. So we're we're putting a new kitchen in that facility so that they can have warm meals. But he, um, yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap. <laughs> but he's not selling his metal. And we're going to help with his medical needs. And um, so I just wanted to say thank you. Because you're the heroes. This isn't coming from my wallet. It's coming from you. This is real life. This is real ministry. And they know it's coming from Christians. So I just say thank you. On this Thanksgiving, I say thank you for having big hearts and thank you for taking care of these people. And thank you for supporting us. And uh, I just wanted to say we appreciate you because we get calls like this. This is pretty regular. And, uh, you know, we delivered a, a violin to a child that is in Beit Shan you know, wants to learn to play the violin. Um, you'll hear more about this, but there's no way any of the families in Beijing could buy a violin. There's no way. You know, these families make, you know, maybe $150 a week and have four and five children. So when you provide them a violin, you're giving them a dream. And you can see the children change when they carry their violin or their guitars. When we were being rushed into the political uh, uh, rally for Jackie Levy into Beichan, we're being rushed in like this. And as we're being rushed in and security's all around us and they're rushing us in the building, there's a young man that's there and he's going like this. And he's waving and we had to stop. And he was the man that we, got the, we gave the guitar, the young boy we gave the guitar to when we were there. And he was this tall, and now he's this tall. And, and he saw us, and he just like, so thankful. See, that guitar changed his identity. Embrace yourself tonight as one that says, I will walk in forgiveness and mercy all my days. Just embrace that. That's your new self. That's your violin.
You know, that's the whole story of Fiddler on the Roof. How do I balance up on the roof? You have to stay focused on the wisdom of God. So if you'll stand, we're going to go ahead and end. Thank you, Megan. We're going to go out and worship. Father God, I ask that you bless all these gifts. Thank you for these ties that separate, sanctify our finances from the curse of poverty all the way back to the garden. Thank you for the offerings, Lord, that bring forth your abundance and break forth your fruitfulness. But Lord, thank you for the identity that we have as givers. Say, I'm a giver. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be good by putting the foolish talk of foolish men to not. Let the identity of us being blessed, say, I am the blessed of the Lord. Let that identity go deep into our heart. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for all those who give and all of those online that support us. God bless you and shalom. Thank you for listening to this message from the One New Man Network. For more information, please visit us at theonenewman.com.